Today's Tuesday, October 8th, 2019, and this week on the Birdland BS Podcast. The Ravens squeak out a big win in overtime versus the Steelers. Another AFC North Divisional matchup this week as the 0-5 Bengals come to M&T. And the Terps bounce back with a big win against Rutgers. Stay tuned. So let's take it to the Birdland. That Baltimore home flavor is coming firsthand. Fred Scott and Ryan, tell them the word, man. Mixing a little BS to make it work, man. Sports, they got it. <laughs> when excitement, the topic. Make sure when they toss you the ball, you don't drop it. With all that swag, you're going to listen regardless. Here comes the pitch, so it's time to get it started. It's Birdland BS. BS, BS. Party people! Celebrating yeah. the win. <laughs> Tag team. Fred and Scott. Episode 117, Birdland BS. We're throwing it back old school again tonight. That's right. We're bartenderless again. What do we do? Uh, How do I pour what alcohol? What is this? After this first like couple of weeks of this season, I could use a couple of strong drinks. Uh yeah, I'm right there with you. <laughs> what an emotional roller coaster. Uh, it's obviously the Ravens pull off a big win uh, up in Pittsburgh. I kind of felt empty after this win. It wasn't as fulfilling as a normal Pittsburgh win would be, but nonetheless, a win is a win. And in the AFC North, every single one of them means everything that you can get. Put especially it on the board. Against, yeah. Yeah, man. I'll take it. I'll take it. Ugly or not. Yeah. <laughs> a win is a win. Uh, and then we got the Bengals coming to town this week. As I said earlier, uh, you know, Andy Dalton and the, uh, the Red Rocket. Got some big cats coming into town, hon. Always say, I don't care, 0-5 or not, they always seem to uh, have our number. So definitely don't want to overlook the Bengals no. going into this week. No, and we can't overlook uh, the, who the Terps are playing this week as well. They're going to go up against Purdue, coming off a Rutgers win, which I got a little bit to say about that. Unpopular opinion, and yes, Ryan, I'm constantly unpopular. Uh, but <laughs> I've got some thoughts on that game and and how I thought things went versus how they actually came out. Well, before we get into too much, have you ever been injured at work or in an auto accident not sure who to call? 855-MD-CRASH are the Maryland personal injury attorneys that have your back. If you find yourself in that unfortunate situation, and I know I have, give our team at MD-CRASH a call right away. We all know the cost of medical bills, lost wages, and pain and suffering can all add up quickly and potentially put you in a bad financial position. If you want a team that will handle your case, big or small, and just give you some peace of mind, save this number now, 855-MD-CRASH. That's 855-632-7274. Be sure to follow them on Facebook for fun giveaways, including tickets to some of our hometown teams. Fred, All right, Scott. Hit the button. I got it. Hit I got the it. button. Well, I was trying to wait because I had something to go into before we actually hit the Ravens. Oh, you're about to take me down a, a, a bad path here. I gotta, I gotta say, because we don't have the bros, bows, and o's section, you guys see that on our outline here. Um, I do have to give our condolences to the Orioles organization as well as the family, the Etcheberry family. Um, longtime Oriole 
player, coach. He was a catcher for a long time. Uh, was was very influential uh, during some of the the sixties uh, and seventies. Um, and Andy Echebarian passed away this past week, uh, natural causes. Um, but I got to meet. I, I didn't, haven't really told you this story yet. No. Uh, I actually got to meet Andy uh, on a tryout for the York Revolution. Oh, really? Um, he was the head coach at that time. He was head coach for them for I want to say almost ten years. Oh, wow. Um, so I actually saw him a few times, but the first time I got to meet him, very down to earth guy, very nice, very baseball knowledgeable type guy. Um, you know, him and Al Bumbery were like BFFs. BFFs. They they loved each other. They had fun with each other. Um, but I, my hat goes off to that family, and my heart goes out to them as well because I know how much of a nice guy he was and how much he. he while he wasn't a Hall of Famer, he meant a lot to the organization. Yeah, thoughts and prayers go out to the Etchaburn family and friends. Uh, two-time World Series champ here in Baltimore. Uh, definitely definitely a sad day, uh, but uh, we'll miss you, Andy, for sure. Yeah. All right, so we got to get into this Ravens-Steelers game, man. And, and like I said, you know, this was one of those games. It was going into it, you kind of thought – Obviously, we've had the changing of the guard with all these new players and all the changes that we've had within both organizations. You're like, ah, is this game going to have the same nostalgia kind of feel to it, the same history of that Ravens and Steelers matchup that we're used to? First of all, it was a one o'clock game, which isn't exciting. You know, these are these games, these Ravens Steeler games are meant for primetime. And and I don't care what the records are. I don't care what you think about the teams going into. You got to look at the history. You got to look at the history. These games are what games should be on primetime game, not the Jets and Browns. <laughs> not, I mean, like, well, I don't understand how some of these guys go through their selection process of primetime games. But nonetheless, this still had a very similar feel uh, to a normal Ravens well, Steelers What do game. you want in a primetime game? You want a, a close scoring game that has a little bit of offense, a little right. bit of defense, and it's a tight game down to the end. And hell, if it goes into overtime for primetime, yep. hell with it. That's, let's go. Right. But they don't seem to think that. And how many how many games have we watched? I think of the, the series, I know that at least five times, now six times, is this team has gone these teams have gone into overtime against each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, not to mention it's almost Tit for tat. Oh yeah. When it comes down to the the overall score of these franchises going against, yeah. Each traditionally, other. they're not high scoring games. They're hard hitting, low scoring, down to the last. Whoever's going to make the big play to end the game, usually it's <laughs> it's Antonio Brown reaching over the goal line. It's Torrey Smith making a catch in the end zone. Like it comes down to these it, big plays. I think it's something of like sixteen or seventeen. Of the last nineteen games between these two teams have been beside, decided by one score. Right, and I saw a stat prior to the game since two thousand. This rivalry has been dead heat. Yeah, wins and losses. That's like what they're, they're yeah, neck exactly. and neck. It's crazy, uh, but it comes down to a Justin Tucker field goal. And I tell you what. I'm damn glad and damn proud to have Justin Tucker in my corner when it comes down to that kind of a kick. I'm going to give you a the, the nod because you came up with this <laughs> automatuck. <laughs> automatuck. Automatuck. Whatever. whatever I didn't come up it. with this. There's no credit. This has been going all over social media. Yeah, but, uh, yeah I mean, hey, look, we take – I think we as Baltimore fans might take the kicker position for granted because of the – outside of the one blemish the of, of Cundiff, <laughs> outside of that – 
we kind of try to put that out of our mind. Well, the rest of the NFL has revolving doors on <laughs> their kickers, their punters. And we, we heard on, in last night's Monday Night Football game, there's been a revolving door at long snapper for the 49ers. Right. So it's just the special teams. We do. I think you're right. I think the Ravens fans and we as a fan base as a whole, we take it for granted just because it's. It has become so it's automatic. So ex- it's so expected. Like yeah. uh, going back, I hate bringing this up, but going back to the Saints gonna game, go here. going gonna back go to the here. Saints game last year, nobody in that stadium expected him to miss that extra point. That's why everybody, like nobody booed. Everybody left that stadium in complete silence. Like, I cannot believe that just happened. Do, do you remember what our what our title for that show was called after that? I don't remember. What the tuck. <laughs> so it fits right in here. But yeah, it was a it was a good win. It was it was a type of game that we were expecting. But I think you had a good point. I, I was it was not satisfying of a win. No. It definitely wasn't because yes, it was a low scoring game. It's what we all expect, but there were so much left on the table yeah. in this game, in my opinion. And I know that you, you've kind of had some thoughts on this. What did you? What are your overall feelings? Why did you leave this game after watching it? Why were you so dissatisfied or not fully satisfied? Well, I mean, we all know what the glaring issues are on this team. And, you know, there was obviously some transactions that happened this past week to address some of these issues. They bring in veteran Josh Bynes, a guy that you know, played on this team and played in this organization for a few years back when we won the Super Bowl. Uh, But here's the thing. He came in, started, and had an immediate impact in this game. Obviously, he had the interception, which goes to say without itself, that's a huge play. And then just he was much, much more active, much more around the ball. Um, I felt like he was getting to the ball carriers faster. So this is a guy who got – no love from any other teams. He was a starter in right. in uh, Arizona last year. They turned their back on him. Don't even bring him back for training camp. He's literally been sitting at home. And then for him to come in on such short notice and have that kind of an impact tells you two things. One, this guy's in ridiculous shape to kind of keep himself in that condition. To come right back in, yeah, like that. Right. Yeah. And two, it tells you a little bit about the state of our linebacker play that this guy came in and was a glaring addition. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't say it any better. When I look at the whole game, um, you know, there's some of the things that we've kind of discussed off the off air here, yeah. and I'm going to bring them up. And I'm curious to hear. We have a, a new piece this week that we're adding uh, for our fans of the show. Um, yeah. And we're going to get to it here in a little bit where we're. I'm curious to hear their their take on this which we're going to do in last call yep um we're going to have a call in number for you so we'll put it up on we'll put it up on the uh the screen once we're ready for that but my curiosity is your take on the the comments that we heard out of marlon humphrey yeah um regarding some of the the moves and some of the the coaching that we're hearing out of wink i'm gonna let marlon say what he has to say and then i want you to react um uh, I was lined up in the slot. Juju was there. He had been he had been running a lot of overs. I usually don't I usually don't follow guys into the slot, but um, you know Juju plays a lot in the slot, so we were I was kind of matching up with him. And he ran over and he got a he got away from me really. And you know Coach Wink, you know we um, every week he puts up ball punch out, ball punch out. That's we he keeps a tally of that every single week and. You know, that's something we practice and practice every single day and every single period, and we keep track of it all the time. And 
you know, it, it was good that, you know, it's, it's not really a thing you just do. It's kind of instinct. It's like you just practice so much that when you get the opportunity, you try to secure the tackle and then try to get a ball, punch out. And uh, I got it out. And then um, I thought, you know, we were going to scoop it, but then he, he didn't. And, nope, and so he didn't. I was like, wow, it's still <laughs> on the ground. So now I went and tried to, I tried to score, but uh, I got tackled. So here's, here's my thing on this, right? So Marlon had a tale of both games, or a tale of both ends in this yes. game, right? Early on in the game, he goes for a similar strip punch of Juju and doesn't secure the tackle like he talks about in, in, in this interview uh, and ends up giving up the touchdown to Juju early on. So I was barking up a storm because this has always kind of been one of my frustrations with the Ravens defense as a whole is sometimes they get too cute with trying to go after the big play and going after the football instead of just being wrap fundamental and yeah. wrap them up. Uh, I didn't. I was not aware, and this is what was so great about this this interview was that it wasn't aware that Wink puts up a tally, and this is something that they preach, and this is something that they practice as a team. So this isn't my frustration. Then isn't with the players themselves. My frustration would have come from the coaching, the coaching staff. staff. But look, hey, it came up huge in this game. If Marlon doesn't make that play, we don't win this game. You don't. You can't kid yourself and think that this defense was going to stop. That, that Steelers offense, they were marching right I'm, down the field. I'm going to play devil's advocate. He wraps up on that tackle. There's a potential that they don't have to worry about that, that play at the end of the game. Because he, and I'm if not he saying gets it's a tackle, a, it's a first down. It's a, it's, it's a first down. It's, I think at that point, it would have been probably first and goal, or, or he might have been on the 12-yard line when it happened, somewhere in there. Right. But he's inside at 12 yards. Is that automatic? No, that's not automatic. You still make them have to have a stand. You know, the defense has to have a stand at that point. You can play it both ways. I get that. But there's one less po one less set of points on the board. Yeah. And so if you wrap up, you take it back there. And now maybe that fight doesn't need to happen. You aren't looking and thanking God that Marlon hit the ball the right way at the right time to punch that ball out. All right. These guys are trained. If if you are going to do that, guess what? Every, that's easy defense. I'm running the ball. Every time I run the ball, I'm running with two hands. Yeah. I don't care well, what I, where I'm going. I'm the, running with two hands. The key in what he said there was... The, the main priority is securing the tackle. The punching the ball out, the fruit punch, as his uh, Twitter handle <laughs> alludes to, punching the ball out is secondary. And he could you could have fooled you could have fooled me with that tackle with that attempted punch on Juju because that's all he was going for it, was a straight punch. And I hundred percent agree with you on the first play, and that's why I was frustrated. On this one, if you go back and watch it. I'm pretty confident in saying that even if he didn't get that punch, he would have secured the tackle there and would have taken Juju down. Nonetheless, he made a huge play. Look, big big guys, big players make big plays at big times, and he was able to do that. And he talked about that also in his interview, was saying that he was sitting on the sideline, and he kind of thought to himself, like, this is one of those games with the way everything is going. Somebody's going to make a big play and going to be remembered for a long time in this rivalry, and it turned out to be him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was a it was a great move. I give him credit on that. It came at the right time. I just, to your point, I'm frustrated to hear that it was eye opening for me yeah. hearing those comments and saying, "Are you effing kidding me, Wink? Seriously, dude, you are preaching to punch the ball out instead of wrapping up the tackle." No wonder this this pass rush is having such a hard time. They're well, so worried about his stripping the ball when they get to the quarterback. The defense, the secondary, they're so worried about stripping the ball. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they go hand-in-hand hand with each other. Here's the thing. The pass rush is terrible. 
The pass rush has been awful. The the Steelers yeah. the Steelers had five sacks in this game. The Ravens had one, and you're going against a second and third string quarterback. You're giving guys that should be scared out of their wits all the time in the world back there to read and digest. And you know, I think overall the corners actually played a pretty damn good game in this game, considering they're shorthanded. I think uh, Maurice Kennedy is com- is way Stepped underrated. Up. He's way underrated. I think I think he's been a guy that a lot of people harp on for the wrong reasons. For a backup to come up and play as strong as he has and play as good as he has, I think he's made a huge impact uh, on this defense in the time that we've had that we've you know Agreed. been missing Agreed. Jimmy. But it's it's getting back to the the pass rush. That is the core problem right now. We talked about this the last couple weeks. We've talked about it at nauseum, it feels like. Can you point to one thing that is the biggest issue on the team? And it's tough because there are multiple issues on this defense, right? But I think single-handedly, the pass rush is the biggest thing that you can impact and make a difference on this total defense, right? Because if you're getting to the quarterback, all that's going to do is help people on the back end, yeah, right? So it has a multifaceted thing, and it gets me to thinking. And shout-out to SCG because he was big on this move when uh, when it was talked about. Could you imagine if we would have ended up pulling a trigger and getting a Jadavion Clowney earlier in the year when he was on the market? Because think about this, right? A lot of people talk about how much it costs on the open market for pass rush, how much draft equity you'd have to give up, how much they end up costing in cap room. The Seattle Seahawks ended up getting him for a third-round pick and a couple of nobodies, two nobodies. A third-round pick. You mean to tell me right now you wouldn't make that trade 10 times out of 10? All day. Right. All day, every day. Just think of of how much having Jadavian Clowney and Judon opposite of each other changes this complete defense. Having that extra added pass rush. And this isn't me being a huge Jadavian Clowney fan because I think he's a little overrated. But you get a guy in there with the potential of double-digit sacks opposite of Judon where they can't just key in on Judon. His game steps up. So here's I'm going to play. I'm going to go another side of the card and go to the inside of that line here. One guy that came into camp just a little bit out of shape. And hmm, by coincidence, I guess we haven't seen as much out of him pressure wise up the middle. How much of that has to do with his offseason, his offseason regiment? How much is he actually in shape? How much did he actually practice in the offseason to prepare for this season? Well, the thing with Michael Pierce, if that's who you're referring yes. to, I'm assuming. Yes. Michael Pierce and Brandon Williams, they're not they're not pass rushing defensive tackles. They're run stuffing defensive tackles first and foremost. Pierce has had a little bit better history of pass rush than Brandon Williams has, absolutely. Um, and he does. He still looks like tons of fun out there to me. He looks way out of shape, and he looks way overweight to me. He's always been a big guy. Don't yeah, get me no. wrong. But he does. I, there's definitely something to that, whether he just— You can't swim move as effectively when you got another 30 or 40 pounds on you. I completely agree. Um, you know, it's just— like I said, there's there's a lot of problems on this defense, and I just I got to really thinking about it this weekend, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, if we had, because you know a lot of people out there are talking about Von Miller, not that he's on the trade block, but a lot of people bring up his oh, name. Oh, and five, he might be. No, they won. Oh, Flacco sorry. and and the, and the Broncos and finally got their win, but uh, 
yeah, I just I started thinking about it. I'm like, God, if they had a pass rush, they would be so much more lethal of a defense. It'd be so much better. And but they can barely stop the run. And that's yeah. my see, that's my thing though. They they really only had one bad, really bad game against the run, and that was against the Browns. Brandon Williams came out in this game, and I, they didn't shut the run completely down, but they did a damn good job going against the Steelers team, who James Conner has been one of the better backs in the league this year. Yeah. I mean, Joe, Joe Carlos chiming in and said he wants to see my swim move. Guarantee you, <laughs> my effing swim move is way better than the Brandon, than Michael Pierce's right now with the oh, weight he's man. got. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the offensive side of the ball, right? So I think <clears throat> some of my frustrations in this game was – how strong they started off in this game. I mean, in the beginning of the game, I was fired up. They, yeah, they came they out ready to go. Yeah, and their first three possessions, and they ended up scoring on all three possessions. And I'm thinking, all right, you know, we're gonna we're gonna handle this game. We're gonna win this game. And then it got it got to this almost predictable type of offense. Uh, you know, again, their defense was playing pretty good. They had a lot of pressure. Again, I mentioned it five sacks of Lamar Jackson. Uh, you know, and I don't blame a lot of the sacks and the pressures on the offensive line. I think the offensive line actually played a pretty decent game in this game. I blame it mainly on coverage. They were coverage sacks, in my opinion. So for me, there were there were, there's there's two parts, and it has nothing to do with coverage. It has everything to do with the fact that Bozeman is getting beat all day. Long. Bozeman is definitely the biggest. Hole. He's the weak point. He's and definitely. Guess what? You're going to hit the weak point every time. But I, I still, I don't think he had a terrible game in this game. I, this was one of the better games, considering he still let up a sack. Considering who he was going against, considering Hayward and and that all and that defensive front, the the Steelers I'll, have a pretty I'll, good defensive. I'll give front. that. I'll give that a little bit of credit there. And but you know you're letting Watt get back there right consistently. And Watt went against Bozeman a few times because they found the hole and he hit him hard and he was able to do it. And when they weren't hitting him, Skura was getting beat a few times. Yeah, I hate to say that because he's been on the show. He's a friend of the show. But for me, it, it's something's got to adjust on this line. Not change, adjust, whether it's the scheming or whatever. The other part to those sacks is Lamar. And I'm going to take some heat for this. I I'm going to know I'm going to get it from you. But it's all Lamar. Lamar's not reading the pressure. And when I say that, the guy, he he's facing, if you're coming from the right side, he's facing you in the throwing position. Guy gets out around behind you, and you fold into the left into him. When you have a hole, a giant hole to the right, to be able to run. He is so set on finding Hollywood or Andrews that when he's doing that, he's not rolling and looking. That play that I'm talking about where he was sacked back there on, by the guy that came completely around and sacked him from the left side. Mm -hmm. Go look at the coverage. Willie Sneed's wide open. Yeah. 10 yards down the field. It's a first down and all I, day. I 100% agree with you, and we've said this now for a couple of weeks. That's, I think, right now the biggest area of improvement that, that I need to see out of Lamar is I need to see him be able to go through his progressions faster and start looking through all of his progressions instead of just, just his security blankets. Thank you, Deshaun. Sneed was open the whole game. I've been saying I predicted Sneed was going to have the year of his career because I expected him to come out. 
He should have the year of his career right now as many times as he's been open. I, like I said, that's definitely the biggest area that I need to see. I, You know, where the hell was Boykin in this game? I don't even <laughs> think I saw him on the field, but like once or twice. No, I, I think he pissed somebody off. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened there. But it, look, Lamar, it's, there's, there's things that he's still working on. Let's not forget, he hasn't even played a full regular season yet. He's still in game 12 or game 13 right now of his career. So he's still he's learning. Got progression. I These get that. are the areas that he needs to work on. And right now, there's a couple of things that I think is going on with, with Lamar. One, I don't think that he's comfortable throwing outside the numbers, outside of the hash marks. I think that he's so focused on the middle of the field and quick crossing routes and all that stuff. They're not taking deep shots and they're not throwing to the outside enough. Part of that could be scheme. Part of that is him not going through his progressions and looking outside right. and just being so focused on the middle of the field. That's one area of concern. The other area of concern, and I think it was a bigger issue in this game, is I think I don't want to say he's playing scared, but there's a sense of panic as soon as he gets the ball. The first couple of weeks, now mind you, I know it was against the Dolphins and I know it was against Arizona. It was totally different competition. But there was a sense of calmness with Lamar. He'd get the ball in the pocket. He'd stand there, kind of hop his feet around a little bit, look through his progressions, make his throw quickly, and he's done. It's almost like in this game, the minute that he got the ball, he was running. He was moving around and moving and too much. Moving too much, right. Instead of just standing still in the pocket that they're trying to form for you, going through your progressions and making the throw. So yeah. that's, that's I think, some areas that he needs to work kind on. Kind of leading back last week, we heard Lamar make the comments to the media that he, or I think it was last week or the week before, that he prefers to pass. He doesn't prefer to run. And my answer to that is, is I don't care what you prefer. You're better when you're on the run. Mm. You're, when he gets outside those numbers, he's more accurate. He can find an open receiver. Because he, his mentally, he's got to go. In. It's not he's actually look one for Boykin, look at look for for Andrews. It's look for an open guy, which right. is what you need to do in the pocket. But I think they're so focused on saying in the pocket, big play, and he wants the big play. He gets excited for the big play, but he's so focused on it that he's staring down his receivers. And then when he feels the pressure, he he just he scrambles, but he scrambles mentally too. Yeah, because he he just goes. Ugh! And he turns, and I forget who was it just that just said it. He's always scrambling to the left. Yeah. Always. He, ne he barely, rarely scrambles to the right. And, you know, that's one of the things early on in his career that I was actually kind of impressed with Lamar is his ability to throw on the run. Like, right. his ability to move and throw accurately, not deep, but accurately, you know, within that 10 to 15-yard range. We haven't seen that as much this week. Typically, when he's scrambling out of the pocket, he's running for it. You know, he's not right. making his threes or throwing down the field at all. Um, and then the other thing that we saw in this game was this was his first big three-pick game, right? He had three interceptions in this game. Now, I'm not going to give a bunch of hate to Lamar for these three interceptions because I believe two of them could have easily gone the other way. Uh, and, and, and I don't really say that they were completely on him. Uh, but the one that had me scratching my head for two twofolds. One, I don't know why in the hell Greg Roman and John Harbaugh were trying to throw the ball and be aggressive with 30 seconds left to go in the first half down in the, inside the 20-yard line. Right. It made zero sense to me. And then Lamar made a terrible decision trying to throw outside towards the sideline, not seeing the under out, underside quarterback right. that stepped in and made the pick on that. Uh, so that was like his first... Big interception. I thought, ooh, 
that was a bad that was decision. On you. That, that was, was a bad you. decision. It was on the coaches for making the call to even throw the pass, or to throw the pass. But it was definitely his uh, his I, mistake for throwing. But the ball. I've also, as I say, I've also said this is where Lamar needs to step up. And I I know he's no Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have full control of the well, Aaron not not this year, but previous years. He doesn't have full control of the offense to be able to get up to that line and completely change the call and say, uh, what I'm seeing, no, you guys don't do it. You were not going to do that. But he needs to start getting that. He needs to start learning that process. And you know. Whether it's calling a timeout in that situation, I think they had one timeout left in that situation that they could have called. He could have said, "The read doesn't say throw the ball here. We need to, we need to come out looking looking like a throw and going with the run. Right. That's what we need to do." And that's what he needs to kind of step up and learn. Is it gonna? Is it? Do I expect that this year? No, but I do expect. Honestly, I expect next year. I start to see a little bit of that and see that progression or even little signs of it this year that he's looking at the sideline going, ah, shaking my head. I don't care what you do. Right. You can, you can look at the sideline and throw an X, throw an X up and go, no, 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 cancel, cancel, cancel. Right. And let them make the decision. But I, it's gotta, it's gotta, something's gotta change. We also can't be from an offensive stand play call standpoint. We can't be taking it down to the last 10 seconds every play yeah I, I agree with that there's definitely times like within inside two minutes where they should be hustling to the line or doing no huddles and stuff and you see the guys in a huddle full-blown huddle that's something again a young quarterback and a young team's got to kind of work through uh, but that's definitely an area of concern. And then I obviously want to talk about the interception that everybody out there is talking about and that was the the high pass to Nick Boyle that I think if that had been Mark Andrews or Hayden Hurst, he probably would have come. Either one of them probably would have came down. Oh yeah, with the solid ball. hands. Uh, not saying, not taking anything away from Nick Boyle, but he's just not. Well, I am. He doesn't have solid hands. He's not the most athletic tight end of the group that they if, have. If you're if you're kicking an onside kick, do you want Nick Boyle out there? My answer is no. I want Mark Andrews, Hayden Hurst, and Miles Boy. Well, maybe not Miles Boykin, but Andrew or, uh, Sneed. I would probably right. want out there. But so the ball goes up to to Boyle, tips off his fingers, and Devin Bush makes the interception, quote-unquote, right? So that's the big debate. Ball rolled. Was it a pick? Was it not a pick? And here's the the kind of nuance to the rule that I wasn't aware of that I know they made some modifications to that rule uh, a couple years ago that typically used to be, it was clear-cut, if the ball hit the ground in any kind of way and the ball shifted during the catching process, it was an incomplete pass. That's how it used to be. And I think that's why a lot of people were like up in arms because you can clearly see the ball moves. The ball touches and the, the ground and the, and ground the ball moves. and the ball moves. Yeah. But the difference in the rule now, and I don't know exactly the 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 verbiage in it, but I just know that the way it's it's been read to me is that the ball can hit the ground and the ball can move as long as the catch was secured prior. So I think what the ref was saying was that Devin Bush had control of the ball and possession of the ball before it ever hit the ground. So what happened once it hit the ground was nullified, didn't matter because he already had possession of the ball. So that was the difference in way the rules are written now versus the way the rules used to be a few years ago. But what's crazy is defining possession. If you define possession on a on a on a catch and run, you have but, to catch the ball, know, turn two steps, and then make a third that's, move. That's which the is, bigger issue blows here. Blows my mind. That's the bigger issue here, right? Is that I watched so much football this weekend. And the inconsistency in that specific call there, what is a catch and what isn't a catch? I mean, you saw in this game one one end of the spectrum, and then I, th I was watching the Colts game, 
Yeah. And the Colts game had to go the opposite way, both of which went they to looked, replays. They looked exactly the they same. They looked identical. So there's like no consistency with it. And as good a freaking TV angles that we have and high definition 4K TV and everything, you'd think that these guys would be able to get it right. But it's it's not to your point. It's the it's the ambiguity of the rules. Right. It's it has nothing to do with the angles and everything. It's the ambiguity of the rule. Why does it have to? Why does it catch defined this way when you when you're standing up, right. but you can lay down on the ground and catch a ball and it be considered and possession. it be considered. I 100 agree with you. So all of you out there chiming in, don't take this as me siding with the refs. Please don't do that. <laughs> That's not it at all. I 100 agree with you that the refs missed that call, but I think that was their justification was that the ground made no play on the on the the call at all because he had possession before the ball. The, I will say they did say the the play stands. They did not confirm the play, so right. I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, but I've got a question for you. What the hell is with the tight ends and freaking hurdling? I don't, it's not even just the Ravens, it's the league. Yeah, but this group, it's all of them now. It used to be just a, a, Mark, a Mark Andrews thing. All right, no, it used to be just a Nick Boyle thing. Because Boyle, like, you know, he didn't catch the ball too often, <laughs> but when he would, when he did, it was like almost every time he caught the ball, he was hurdling somebody or trying right. to. Right. Uh, now all three of them are doing it. This this is something that I don't know if because they've they've all kind of gotten pretty close as a group, right? And I don't know if it's just each other watching each other's game and trying to mimic each other's game, or if this is something they legitly practice. But somebody's going to end up getting effed up and really hurting themselves I mean, doing this. We're seeing it across the league. I don't know if you watched the game last night, but former Raven Kyle Uzcheck, yeah, he hurdles a guy, he gets nailed. He winds Maybe it's up a Raven going, thing. He winds up going out. But overall, it just it's the NFL. I don't know what it is as a whole. To me, it's not just this this tight end core. It is the NFL as a whole. But you're right. This tight end core does seem to be kind of, I feel like, leading the charge a little bit when it comes to that. Well, the other side of it, too, you got to remember, right? Tight ends are bigger, faster, stronger now than they've ever been, right? And a lot of these corners, some guys are 180 to 210 pounds taking down these 250 to 270 pound tight ends coming at them at 100 mile an hour, they're going to go as low as possible and these tight ends know it. So they're getting prepared to say, hey, I'm going to try to make a bigger play out of this. Yeah. All right. One last topic for this game that we, we, we can't go without addressing here. And I'm going to let Harbaugh give his comments and then I want your reaction because everybody knows the play that I'm talking about. The Earl Thomas hit on Mason Rudolph. Here's what Harbaugh had to say after the game. They just showed it to me before I came in. I did, and uh, from what I saw, Earl's closing. You know, Mason's going forward. He comes forward. You know, Tony's going to make the tackle, and he gets him right on the chin, kind of like a boxing deal. Um, I'm absolutely certain that he wasn't trying to hit him in the head. You know, he's it's fast, and he's closing. Mason's running, so and he's not going down. You know, he's throwing the ball. So um, that's what happened as I saw it. So here's the thing with that, right? First of all. Shout out to Earl Thomas for making an impact play. <laughs> hey oh. And he made an interception in the game. <laughs> no, you no. call you look, call wait. You look, called for Earl Thomas to I show did. up in this game. I did. And he, he his came, name's all over the place. He did. No. <laughs> Shout out to to Mason Rudolph. Hope he's doing better. I heard he's home, that you know, he's recovering, all that stuff. You hate to see anybody he get got hurt like knock that. Knock the F out. Man. But all the Steeler fans out there and all the national pundits that want to say that this was a dirty hit just don't know football or are too 
caught up in in those yellow towels in Pittsburgh and and can't see their head from their ass. Because here's the thing. Earl Thomas was going after Mason Rudolph and going after the sh- what they call the, the, the strike zone. The strike zone. And he was Mason was pushed from behind. I can't remember who it was that Tony was behind Jefferson. him. Was it Tony Jefferson? Yeah. Okay. Slightly pushed from behind, which all that does is change his trajectory. And what the hell is Earl Thomas going to do? He actually, if you kind of pay attention, you see his arms come out where he kind of tries to brace because he saw right. that happen, and it was too late. And what his helmet, the crown of his helmet, made contact in a bad area. It sucks that it, it happened, was this, well, and it was, was ugly. Even, it was the, like the corner of the crown. I, in my opinion, I don't even know that you can call it a crown. I give credit to to. I don't normally do this because I I hate Stephen A. Right. Stephen A. And uh, I forget who it was. We're going against Max Kellerman. Kellerman was all about it, and the two of them were like. You're letting the result of the play influence your thought process on what happened there. Right. And he's like, oh, he launched at him. and da, da, da. No. And he did not launch. His feet did not leave the ground. He never became parallel. He went in, and in all reality, he went in with his shoulder. And when he, when he went in with his shoulder, his head was up. It was the tip, and I say tip corner of the crown. It was literally right here yep. on his head that hit, the, hit Mason Rudolph on the chin. Bad timing, bad scenario crazy to kind of see what happened and I, and listen if this is you know the Steelers safety making a hit like this on Lamar Jackson I guarantee you we're all barking up the same type of, of remarks and we're all taking Lamar's back so I can't hate on the Steelers fans for taking his back but you know the ones that are trying to throw shade on Earl that he's a dirty player and has always been a dirty player and that was a dirty hit and all that it wasn't I understand you have the right to be mad that it happened, and it sucks that it happened because it was ugly. Earl was regretful afterwards, man. Yeah, it, it was. Could you imagine? Take a second for being Mason Rudolph and being knocked out completely cold, right? And the <laughs> don't even. And the first thing you see when you wake up is your face mask is gone. Like, holy shit, I got hit so hard, my face mask is gone. Like, that's the first thought that probably went through his head. Like, what the fuck happened to my face mask? I was going with his first thought was, where am I? <laughs> Did you, have you seen, oh, I'm sorry. Man. I'm sorry to make fun of the bad situation, but have you seen the meme going around when he's knocked out where he's holding up, it's after he threw the ball and he's got the finger one and somebody's hit dash four, one and four. Oh, <laughs> so I'm sorry. It was, a, it was bad, but it was good. I saw an image going around on social media today. It had him sitting there without his face mask on and his helmet next to a picture of oh, special, special Ed. <laughs> it was hilarious. I'm sorry. Uh, Again, don't want to make fun of the situation, but that shit's funny. Credit to whoever made that yeah, picture. It was hilarious. That was. You know what else was funny? Was that? Mike's Mike Tomlin's comments. Oh man, post-game. this this was absolutely great. So if you didn't see this during the game, they bring the card out. This is why they ended up having to walk him off the field. They bring the card out. Well, the cart broke down is what I thought happened, but apparently it was user error. Well, they asked Tomlin what he thought and what his opinion was on the cart situation after the game. Listen to this. They just show- Mason's injury, um, do you know why he had to stand up and kind of walk off the way he did while the cart was out there? Ask somebody that's in charge of that. I don't drive carts and things of that nature. <laughs> I don't drive a damn carts. such a Mike Tomlin answer. Wait, it's freaking great. You know what baffled me about the whole thing? <laughs> Regardless of whether it was, you had six people around that cart pushing it. You're telling me ain't nobody figured it out. And then here's the other thing. What else had wheels that was sitting right there? The damn stretcher. Yeah. Why wasn't he taking off I on the, the stretcher? I thought the same thing. You're talking about a guy 
with a head injury that obviously they removed the face mask because they were concerned and didn't want to relieve pressure on his head and wanted to stabilize. But nah, just go ahead and carry him off the field. We're going to go ahead and push this cart with the wheel <laughs> or with the uh, stretcher on it off the field while you walk and off. And the stretcher was off and, the cart at one point. And it's great. He's walking <laughs> off and he's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. He, they start to let go, and he's he like his he's got buckled. a hold of the player's britches, like he's literally had his underoos in his hands, <laughs> jock strapping everything in their hands. Oh, it was great. It, it, I I do give credit again. Bad situation. Bad I give situation. credit. You know who I give credit to, and what I thought was actually kind of cool in that moment, and, and cool cool in a weird way, and I'm, I, I, it's the only way that I can say this was seeing Ryan Shazier, yeah, walk out there and be almost the first. When he got up to be like, hey, man, you okay? Like, you'll be okay. I'll work. Yeah. Like, it was almost like you could see him going, I'll work with you and whatever. And even Shazier, after the hit, if you watch as they're walking back, some of the Ravens are, like, saying something. And he's, like, like telling them, it's, it's okay, man. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Right. So... I have to give Ryan Chazier a lot of credit. Absolutely. There. And again, I know Much we're, make, to be we're, we're walking, making light but. of this situation, but by no means do we mean any disrespect to Mason. It's just a uh, <laughs> a very unfortunate situation <laughs> with some pretty funny circumstances. Garnett, billion-dollar team and cannot afford a cart. <laughs> right. And I'm pretty sure every NFL stadium has an ambulance in the, you know, in, in, the, the, bowl, in, the, wings. in the wings somewhere. Why wouldn't they have brought that out? Where's the hell? You're telling me you only got one cart? Yeah. <laughs> You mean somebody doesn't have a golf cart or something? <laughs> Get the lawnmower. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the hell was going on there. But, hey, you know, one other thing I do want to bring up uh, before we move on from this, and we didn't talk about it, is the fact, the fact that not only was this a close game and not only did this come down to overtime, but it was against their second and their third string quarterback. That's that's a little concerning. I mean, we've talked yeah. about the issues with the pass rush and everything, and we know what the issues are on the defense. But uh, this is a game, and this is, I think, part of the reason we talked about earlier. This is part of the reason it felt empty, and it didn't feel like a normal Steelers. Right. It didn't have that satisfaction of a normal Steelers win. For me, I, a win is a win, and I'm taking every one of them I could get. It just didn't have that same feeling, and I think it was because of the fact that a guy named was Devlin Hodges. Who the yeah. hell is this guy? Who is this? I think they said, was he the guy that was in the, no, no, I'm thinking of the other game. There was somebody that was in the AAF like earlier. Well, he year, came but. in and he was like nine for nine or eight yeah. for nine, something like that. I mean, he was just marching. That's why I'm saying I had no confidence in this defense making the stop. And it's a damn good thing that Marlon Humphrey, speaking of that really quickly, I keep saying one more thing. <laughs> one more thing. I wanted to get your opinion on this. We haven't talked about this yet. What did you think of the Tomlin decision to kick off? in overtime versus taking the ball. I actually liked it. Yeah. Bro, if I'm a Steeler fan, I liked it. And here's why. Because it's a different approach. Everybody's so, I want to score first, right? He he did what I mentally would do to somebody. I'd go, I dare you to score on me. Just go ahead, score. And it's it's a it's a it's a force, it's a it's a mind game. It really is. Because now you have to score because you dictate how things have to go. There's a lot more pressure on how things have to go versus you going, okay, I know exactly what I need. Well, if you would have listened to his, his press conference, his, his after-game questions, they asked him about that because I think a lot of Pittsburgh fans were like, what in the hell are we doing? Right. And I thought his answer was actually really smart. And this just goes, again, more kudos to Justin Tucker and our special teams unit as a whole. He said, D 
Did you see the way Justin Tucker was hanging the kicks up there and leaving them short of the end zone? He's like, we weren't getting it out to the 20 anytime down there. He said their coverage unit was good. This was basically a way of flipping the field. Give right. them the ball. So we can force them our, to kick this way. Exactly. And get better and it field had just, position. It had just it had started raining for a little bit. Right. They the wind they said the wind had picked up in the in the overtime. Yep. So you're right. I mean it made it made sense from that standpoint. Yeah, as well. once I heard that, I thought it was pretty smart. All right, Scott, it's time for this week's brew of the week. What Jerry got for us this week. So Jerry hooked us up with another Oktoberfest lager. This one's actually from Sly Fox Brewing Company. It's out of Pottstown, PA. Good stuff. Uh, this is their Oktoberfest lager. It's, you know, obviously named for the season. 6.1% alcohol by volume. Uh, for this one, they say it's it's really good with your closest friends. So that's why we're drinking this, Fred. Uh, but it's it's really all about the, the season for them, uh, it does have a, a little bit of malt-type flavor to it. It's the easiest mm-hmm. way to describe it. Um, but for me, I, I think it's a, it's a pretty good beer. Make sure you go over to Liquor Stop on Conowingo Road. Let Jerry know that we sent you. Get your 10% off. And don't forget to pick up your game day edition of your Crown Royal while you're at it. All right, man. It's time for Flock Air. Hit that button, Scott. I'm getting there. Flock Air. As we got the uh, Red Rocket and the Bengals coming to town in M&T this weekend. Yeah, which uh, which Red Rocket are you planning on showing up? The the fiery ginger of years past or the Cincinnati stepchild? <sighs> Look, Andy Dalton <laughs> always figures out a way to play well against this Ravens defense. And let's not you know kid ourselves. This Ravens defense this year is nothing like what it's been in the years past, and he's done damn good against some stronger defenses that we've had. So, albeit the Bengals are a shit show at 0-5. They're not a very good football team. Records go out the window again when anytime you talk about AFC North games in as a whole, records go out the window because these two teams and these two franchises know each other like the back of their hands. They do. And they that's the, that's the big problem. That's the scary part. Right. Is when you look at these two teams and their ability to to come in, you talked about it. When you when you talk about bringing the Red Rocket in here into Baltimore, or I'm sorry, uh when Baltimore's going to Cincinnati. No, here. Is that's right, it is here. Why am I I'm sorry, I am out of sorts today. Um but when you talk about them playing each other, period. Andy Dalton has come in on a regular basis and been able to put up decent numbers against the Ravens. Yep. Crazy part about that is, is a lot of those times he's actually doing it with his feet. He can scramble like crazy, and it's scary because now you have Andy Dalton. Yeah, in some, if you go back and you look at some of the highlights in previous games, he's been able to scramble and get big game yardage and get the first downs against defenses that the Ravens have put up. And now you're talking about a, a questionable pass rush a semi-questionable run-stopping defense eh. and a depleted secondary. That's, I mean, it's the pass rush and the secondary that worry me. More so the pass rush. Even if yeah. you can keep coverage on AJ, AJ Green's not even playing in this game now. So even if you can keep coverage on all their guys, Andy Dalton still has the ability to scramble and get to the outside. He's always been able to do that. Yeah. Especially against the Ravens. That's the scary part for me. Yeah, I mean, obviously they got Tyler Eifert back, a uh, guy that's had been a thorn in our side for years, um, and another guy that uh, was a big thorn in our side come playoff time or the attempt at playoff time two years ago, Tyler Boyd. 
beat us with that big game touchdown to end the season. Killed my dreams in a miserable, miserable weather game. Oh, it was awful. I was there for that, and it was terrible being there for that and to watch them lose that game and miss out on the playoffs. Uh, look, again, not a very good football team, but uh, this it's not definitely a game that you can't just take for granted. Uh, going through it in the beginning of the year when you start breaking down the schedule, wins and losses, I have this as a win, but I also looked at this team a totally different perspective in the beginning of the year before the season started. I did not think we were going to have these kind of issues on defense, so this game has me more nervous than it should. It, it does. Now, they, the, the Ravens did make a move this week to try to help with this defensive front. They go out and get former Colts defensive tackle Jihad Ward, uh, who was waived last week. Yeah, this to me, it's just a depth. It's just a depth signing. It's it's not going to do anything pass rush wise or anything. I, I just I don't see him making an, an immediate impact. Um, but again, these are the type of moves that put guys on notice that aren't producing. You know, we've already seen it with the moves that they had with with Tim Williams getting cut and whatnot. And then, you know, you've got Peanut or not Peanut, Kenny Young, who wasn't even active right. for this Steelers game. And you've got a guy that's been sitting on the couch for six months come in and immediately start. I think that speaks volumes of what the team thinks of Kenny Young right now. Yeah, I mean, it. it we, we've talked about some of those issues at nauseam. I can't even continue to go on with them, but I, I think... I think you're you are right when it comes to the jihad move. I think it is a depth thing. Um, I do think he you see him get some snaps this week though. I think you see him. They, apparently he is in shape. He is ready to go. It's just the Colts were were they felt he was ready to they were ready to cut ties with him. I'm curious to see how he how he performs when they put him in. But the expectation is that he goes in and goes right to work. Yeah. Um, I, what you're gonna do with him long term? I don't know because you still have a revolving there, door there at tackle. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I, I'm back and forth on how this, this game is going to go. But let's just jump into our predictions here. Okay. What do you see this game? How do you see this game playing out? And what do you see this, this game looking like winner-wise and score-wise? Well, the, the running game last week, uh, outside of Lamar, when you look at what Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards were able to do last week. Mark Ingram had one of his roughest weeks yardage-wise. Steelers did a good job of shutting him down. 19 carries for 44 yards. You had Gus Edwards with five carries for 17 yards. If the Ravens want to win this game, they got to get the running game going again, and I think they will. Um, I do want to see – I want to see Lamar stretch the field a little bit more. Right. Obviously, we've talked about it at nauseum. I want to see him start spreading the ball around to other receivers, but I feel like – there should be at least a handful, five or so plays in a game that they take shots down the field just based off how often the defenses are loading the box because we're running the ball down their throat and they're trying to do everything that they can to stop it. That dictates taking shots down the field, and that's the only way that you can keep defenses respecting your passing game is by taking those shots. And early on in the year, we saw that. We saw that in the Dolphins game. We saw that a little bit in the in the Cardinals game. It seems like I don't know if if it's Lamar not not feeling confident in his receivers and going deep, or maybe confident in himself. I don't think that that's ever been an issue. I feel like Lamar is very confident in himself. Or if it's Greg Roman playing maybe a little bit too conservative. But I think if the Ravens really want to take their offense to the next level. 
they got to start having some more explosive plays, some bigger chunk yardage plays down the field. I agree. You have to you have to be able to do that, but you and you've got to be able to hit the guys with it. You got to be able to see your open receivers constantly. You know, I know that we've had a bunch of people, Troy, saying out there, "I have the need, a need for Sneed." Yeah, uh, that's. I can't keep talking about this, and it's somebody needs to just hand them our podcast at this point <laughs> because we've been saying it. Look at Willie Sneed; he is going to get you that extra. What did we talk about Willie Sneed last year? We talked about his ability to catch the ball and make the extra yardage up the field, his yards after the catch. Right. And that's something that's got to continue with with this team. It worked last year. You can make it work again, especially because you've looked so much to to uh, Brown and Andrews. It's got to work. For me, I look at this game. I think it is going to you are going to see an Andy Dalton come out and make it a competitive game. Mm hmm. But I've got the Ravens pulling this out by one score. I've got this a 28-21 Ravens win. Yeah, I'm not far off there from you. Um, I do think that uh, the defense steps up and makes some plays in this game. I'll go out on a limb, and I, I, I think Earl Thomas comes up with two picks in this game. I think he has a big game. I think he wants to, to impress in front of the crowd. He wants to impress this guy because I'll be there, of course. <laughs> You, you've got I gotta to make it about me. My head. Did you really just go from last week? Hey. Where the hell is, is Earl Thomas to this week? I said, Earl Thomas is going to be the player of the game next I week. I said <laughs> I wasn't throwing hate on Earl Thomas because I believe in Earl Thomas and I think he's going to get better. But so far through those first four games, I hadn't seen enough. I think that this is where he kind of puts his face on the map here in Baltimore. I think he makes two picks in this game, and I think the Ravens win this one 27-19. Okay. Sherry's not far off uh, saying Ravens 24-17, Garnett 28-17, Baltimore. So uh, obviously all the Baltimore fans are going to be homers and, and say it, but uh, everybody does seem to have it as a pretty close game. Uh, Let's get into the primetime games yeah. then, man. Let's talk Thursday night football. Go ahead and hit that button there. Yeah, I saw <laughs> Primetime, that's good. So Thursday night football, you got the two and three New York Giants, led by Daniel Jones, the rookie quarterback, who's done pretty well so far as a rookie, going into Foxborough to take on the five and zero Patriots. Here's my thing. Let me ask you this real quick: Why is nobody throwing shade at the Patriots for being five and zero with the freaking? powder puff schedule that they've had <laughs> so far this year but everybody wants to make sure that we remembered our first two games were against miami and and or arizona because it's the patriots and it's tom brady <sighs> and it's it's bill belichick and that that's exactly what's what's happening here is they're all just it, it's all them going through and saying ah this is just what they do regardless of who they play it doesn't matter who they play but i'll tell you what the game that they had this past week Pretty damn close game. Yeah. yeah. Well, they won what nineteen thirteen. Yeah. So it's not like you put up a bunch of a bunch of points on the board in that game, right? Just well, saying. I tell you what, I think. <sighs> I'm not trying to get too hyped up on the Giants because I don't think the Giants are a great team or anything like. Are you going to go Bill Belichick and be like Daniel Jones looks really great? No, I think Daniel Jones has looked good. And I would think that the Giants would have a much better chance in this game if Saquon Barkley was in the fold and he was healthy. They were trying. It's unreal how robotic this guy is and how fast he's healing. He was out there running last week already. You know, they were talking like four to six weeks, and this is like the second or third week into the injury, and he's already out there running. But they did announce, I think, today that he's gonna. They're gonna hold him out uh, for Thursday. He's not gonna play. 
So with that said, I've got the Giants losing this game in Foxborough 30-20. to 20. Way to take everybody up on the Giants and then <laughs> smash all their yeah. hopes. I, I think they're I think they're a decent team, but they got a long way to go. Uh, I got this one right around the same point differential, which is crazy. Uh, I've got the Patriots winning this as well. Uh, you know, wholeheartedly, I, I think they can win this twenty four to fourteen. I think to your point, I just don't have that much faith in in, in Daniel Jones yet. Do I see flashes? Yeah, I think I see some flashes. He's 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 not Eli Manning, and I mean that in a good way. <laughs> they look identical, though. Their mannerisms are it's, almost exactly it's similar. the same. It's eerie. It's very similar. It's eerie. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I've got this one being a close game. Garnett, actually, look at his score of his. 38-7 to Patriots. <laughs> wow. After like the close it. game you saw this past week. I like it. I'll, I'll right. definitely give you kudos if that score is right. All right, man. Let's, let's move over to Sunday Night Football. Yep. We have... The Steelers, who are now one and four per Ayo. the Mason Rudolph meme. Uh, yeah, I went there again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Going to San Diego to face the Chargers. Go, sorry, Chargers, sorry. go. The Los Angeles Chargers. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me get that straight. The uh, Los Angeles, you're still a San Diego Chargers, uh, who are two and three. So, who, in me, for me, in this game, I've got the Chargers winning this. 30 to 17. I think it's a no-brainer. It's Philip Rivers going against this depleted Steelers team. You just took out Mason Rudolph. Hodges is going to be going against a little bit better defense when it comes to the Chargers. Yeah. Um could he come out and put up some points? Yeah, but I just don't I don't know from what I saw, the little bit I saw from him, I don't know that he can do that just yet. Um so I I've got this being that you know a little I've got him putting points on the board but I got the Chargers and Philip Rivers just going away with it 30 yeah. 17. Philip Rivers pissed off cuz they played like shit last week at home going against a third string quarterback in Hodges uh as to your point that you know Chargers have a little bit better of a defense than the Ravens uh do right now. I think the Chargers win this one 24 13. Okay. Monday night football. You got the surprising 2 1 and 1 Detroit Lions. I know that record. It's like weird. I hate that one. I hate, I hate the extra. One. I hate the fact it's that a there's damn ties. loss. It's ridiculous. It's a damn loss. The two one and one uh, Lions going into Green Bay to take on the four and one Green Bay Packers. How do you see this one shaking out? For me, it's Aaron Rodgers at home. Yes, there's been some Stafford has been surprising a little bit of people this year with mm. with his play, uh, but I, I can't deny the fact that it's Aaron Rodgers at home. Uh, do I think? Do I think Stafford's going to put some points on the board? Yeah, I got 21 points for him going on the board. But I got Rodgers and that that offense outplaying them. Lafleur and his play calling it's Lafleur. been it's been working. I mean they're four they're four and one. It's okay they're not five and zero, oh, right. but they're four and one. It's been working. You need to make continue to make adjustments and which they do. It's it's always something they've done as long as they continue to do that. And Aaron Rodgers kind of leads that charge. I think they're going to win this game. I got it thirty to twenty one. Yeah, I mean Aaron Rodgers didn't look great uh, this past week against Dallas. The offense was all ran through Aaron Jones, who had a huge game. Kudos to him for my fantasy win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he had like three touchdowns or four touchdowns in that game, forty some fantasy points. Uh, but yeah, I mean, going at home, um, I, you know, look, the Lions are playing inspired football. They're playing better, but they're still the Lions, and <laughs> they're still two is, one and one. <laughs> it's still Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I do think that this team is going to get better 
as the year goes on, talking about the Packers, I think once they buy more into LaFleur's system and get more comfortable in this system, that offense is only going to improve. To your point, up until week two, there were still question marks about how much is Aaron Rodgers going to, is he changing the play calls and this and that. And then we heard in week, I think it was at week two, we heard that, you know, Rodgers had kind of bought in a little bit more. And then by week three, he was fully bought in. Yeah, well, well mostly he, he, bought he's in. still a, a douchey. That's just Aaron Rodgers. He's kind of full of double check. Kind of full of himself <laughs> a little bit. But look, Packers will win this one. I got him winning 32-28. All right, Scott. Uh, anybody out there in social media you want to Say hi to who's been out there uh, talking got a, to us. We've got a ton of people that have been chiming in on social media. Uh, just doing a quick rundown. We've got Ryan, Deshaun, Sherry. Thank you, Sherry. Always sharing. What's up, everybody? Kamal always in the house. Come on. Let's see. Joe Carlozo. We got Cooper. Cooper says tough divisional game, and they come up with the win. Have to be happy 100%. with the week. 100% agreed. With Monday Night Football the way that it was. Yeah. Uh, Tyler d- says uh, Tucker and has a bunch of, bunch of goat emojis. Uh, let's he see. <laughs> Harsha says, is Jimmy still alive? Uh, uh, I saw him in the team photo today, so I would say, yeah. Yeah, he, he's he's definitely there. They He got a game ball afterwards. <laughs> he, no, that was Marlon Humphrey. No, he, he, got the, he got the first game ball. Marlon got the second one. There were two game balls that were given out. Jimmy Smith? You're oh, I'm talking sorry. About I'm talking about Jefferson. Yeah, I was gonna I'm say, say TJ yeah. got one. Never yeah. mind. Never mind. I'm thinking wrong one. Uh, Godson says great show, people on YouTube. Appreciate, Appreciate you, Godson. Uh, let's see. Shout out to Brian from the airport or wherever the hell he is at this point. Yeah, he was Chime up in the air in for in a little the ch- while there in the chat room. Say he was ten thousand feet in the air. Uh, <laughs> Garnett, as always, in the house. Appreciate you, Garnett. Uh, he agreed with you. Boykin's a ghost right now. It really is. Uh, let's see. I know that I saw one or two other names here. D-bag. Hey, D-bag on I YouTube. I remember that guy. <laughs> yeah, he said uh, this was talking about the missed call, <laughs> the missed call on the uh, the penalty that should have been the, uh, yeah. not the penalty, the uh, the catch that should have been. Definitely a, a missed call, for sure. A missed call. Agreed. Uh, our buddy Troy Hayes, friend what of the podcast. What up, Troy? Craving some raven out there. Nice. Uh, let's see. I think I saw one more. Hector Torres is What's out up, there. What's up, Hector? Courtney, Courtney Rogers, appreciate it on YouTube. And that looks to be up. John Carr and Justin Marshall also chiming in. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys tuning in from Facebook, man, for sure. All right, Scott, it's time for some turtle talk as the uh, Terps, man, they bounce back in a big way. This was a must win game. Uh, You know, I haven't been feeling very confident in this team the last couple of weeks. And I don't think anybody would if they had to sit in that stadium and watch them get mollywopped by <laughs> Penn State 59 to nothing uh, at just how depleted and how defeated this offense looked as a whole. This was a game that the team needed on all aspects, on all fronts. The defense needed to come in and have a big game. They did. The offense needed to get some confidence going. Uh, you know, again, it's definitely – a, a lower-scale oppo- opponent <laughs> in the Big Ten, but it was a, a Big Ten opponent nonetheless. 48-7, to seven, they win this game, moving to 3-2, and two, but it, I'm taking the unpopular opinion here. I said this pre-show. I was not happy with this win. Ant McFarland has seven carries, 87 yards, and if I left it there, you'd be like, oh, okay, pretty good, pretty good. Problem is, is one of those runs was for 80 yards. So that means on six carries, he got seven yards. Fair. Okay. We have Leak, 
65 yards on five carries. He gets the two TDs. He also gets uh, the one the one TD that was there for the um, kickoff the return. kick return. Mm-hmm. Fleet Davis, 32 yards on eight carries. This outside of that one big run for the most part. This run game was pretty stuffed, especially considering Ant McFarlane. Not only that, but then let's look at the other side of the ball. Let's look at Josh Jackson for a second. Mm-hmm. Nine of for 16 for 179 yards. Yes, two TDs. But nine of 16 and 179 yards. I, I was unimpressed. I was left feeling like there was so much left on the table in this game from an offensive standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Look, Jackson has not played good football outside of the first two games of the year. And his issue has been his accuracy, and we and that even continued in this game, yeah. at 9 to 16. He did get some chunk plays in this game, some big yardage gains, which obviously put up some stats before ultimately he went down with a ankle injury, I believe, a foot injury of some sort. Uh, nonetheless, he was on the sidelines for the rest of the game. Uh, on, on crutches. crutches. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then Piggy comes in, and you can kind of see a shift in the offense. He goes 13 of 18 for 111 yards. And, you know, I had been saying for a while, I wanted to see what Piggy would look like in this offense because, one, he's coming back fully healthy now from his injury. He looks like he's lost a little bit of weight. Piggy actually had some comments when some uh, some interview guys were asking him questions about his health. Uh, I guess you could say that, but like not really, though. You know what I'm saying? I'm just not getting back. So I feel like, like I told you before, like I feel way comfortable. I had to brace. Lost, you know, so I lost, lost a lot of weight, too. So I feel back like I'm at the same weight I was doing Texas during that same year, so I feel back to myself, really. You feel, you feel better than you did when you came in for the last few games last year, physically? Uh, yeah, definitely. Because definitely, like, with the brace, you know, nothing was wrong with the brace, but I feel like it was, like, helping me secure, but, like, I didn't feel the same as I was against Texas, you know. Yeah. And, like, having it off and knocking that weight off, too, that I had, I just feel better. And I think this is kind of where I was going with why I think Piggy would be okay in this offense is because our biggest weakness in this offense right now is our offensive line. Our offensive line is young. Uh, there are a lot of injuries on the offensive line. So we're seeing constant pressure. And Josh Jackson, he's a bigger guy. He's a stronger guy. We talked about it earlier on the year. He's more of a north-south type of runners. Like he can He can get some yardage on the ground with his feet but he's never he's he's not mobile enough to get outside of the pocket fast enough when the pocket breaks down and i think that's where piggy would be a better fit in this offense and i hate to see anybody get hurt and that, and that's not what i mean i'm not happy that that Josh, Josh Jackson went down but i did want to see a change prior to the injury i did want to see a change with piggy and see what this offense could do and i think in this game we got a little glimpse of that yeah i mean i think when you look at the when you look at this game as a whole to your point Piggy coming in, going 13 of 18, only 111 yards. But what that shows you is Jackson has a big arm. I'll give him credit on that. Yeah. And he can hit the big ball downfield. But he struggles. On occasion. Yes. But he struggles big time with the over-the-middle throws in traffic. Yeah. He's not accurate with that. And that's where Piggy is doing good. When you look at that 111 yards on 18 attempts and 13, you know, successful passes, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. You're almost you're just under you're what at eight and a half yards per reception? 
That's pretty damn good when you look at that. Hell of a lot better than what this offense has been doing the last couple weeks. Exactly. And when you look at that whole piece, it's because Piggy has the ability to get outside the pocket and chunk away yardage. He's able to throw over the middle accurately when he needs to. He's able to scramble and get some extra get extra yardage, get himself, himself some extra time when he needs to. But he can find a hole. If he sees the hole, he ain't looking for the throw anymore. He's running the ball. Right. Josh Jackson... From the time he scrambles out of the pocket to the time that he gets in the line of scrimmage, he is looking. It's like he looks for the stick and runs for the the the, the not the first down stick, but the stick of the, the line of scrimmage. Right. Because very rarely does he successfully get past that. He does do it. Right. But it's not as as much as we see with Piggy. And we talk about obviously the stable of running backs that these this team has. I think that they, as a group, have performed pretty well this year, considering again the injuries that have happened on the offensive line, the lack of play at quarterback. I think this this change with Piggy is going to have a it's going to have a multitude of effects on this offense because not only do I think he's a better passer, not only do I think he's more mobile, but those effects will then open up lanes because now teams won't just be able to stack the box and stop the run because that's what's happened right. these last couple weeks is teams Agreed. are saying Jackson can't beat us through the air, so he's going to have to damn sure try because all we're going to do is load this box and we're going to stuff this running game that yeah. Maryland's built around. Well, now with Piggy back there, I'm not saying Piggy's going to light the world on fire, so don't take that the wrong way, but I do think that this offense becomes a little bit more respectable in the passing game where they can't I, load the box. I agree with you. I expect them to have a little bit a little bit more success than what they've had in, in the past few weeks. Um, and I'm just going to ask you a flat-out question. Impressive win, 48-7. to seven. I say those numbers. Impressive win for you after the past two weeks that they've gone through? Yes, because, it, okay. it again, it was a must-win. Um, the way that they had been playing the last two weeks, honestly, I didn't have much confidence. I did think that they would win this game. Um, I didn't think we would win 48-7. to seven. <laughs> The three wins that we've had in this season have been – ridiculous wins like the scoreboard is ridiculous in those three games and then it's been on the other end in our two losses right. that we've had um so it's like the tale of two different teams but i wanted to see some improvement in certain areas and i think we were able to see that in this game agreed well next up we got maryland's kryptonite it feels like <laughs> in purdue yep so we go to purdue i believe for this game and what do you think we can expect based on the past two weeks with strong, oh, I should say lack of, of strong presence on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. This week, you come up, you see a little bit more out of both sides. I Again, you were impressed. I still honestly was not impressed of what I've expected, what their ability and what the expectation should be for me. But what do you expect in this game against Purdue? Do you expect them to come out on top? What do you expect the game plan to be? What are you looking at? Uh, it's going to be a tough road game. This this is, I mean, obviously they're one and four, but they Purdue's been littered with a bunch of injuries as well. Um, some key injuries, one at quarterback as well. Uh, so it's a game that I want to see Maryland come out and set the tone early. Again, I think this offense and Piggy specifically is it's kind of predicated around early success. If they come out there and they fall behind early, it's lights out for the game for the game for the team. This is a big Big Ten game. This is a if you want to be a bowl contending team, this is a game that you got to pull out of your hat. You got to be able to win this game because the schedule doesn't get any easier from here on out. And right now we sit at three wins. 
You yeah. know, we still got to get three more somewhere in this schedule to be if we want to be bowl eligible. Uh, so this is a this is a must have. So I want to see Dante Demas get involved in this game. I want to see Sean Savoy get open out in space and make plays with his legs. And then I think if we see those things happen early in this game, the lanes for McFarland, for Leak, and for Fleet Davis will open. My question for you is is kind of on the other side of the ball. Can this off or I should say on the offensive side of the ball, can this offense handle this Purdue defense when Purdue just stopped Penn State and held Penn State to 35 points? And I say held. I'm about to say. I say held, but I look at what Penn State did to us. Yeah, no, look, Purdue is has been traditionally a, a very good defensive team. And yeah, that's obviously a big concern. That's why I'm saying I think they need to attack early they got to put points on the board early because if they don't they will fall behind and it'll be a wrap i think once if they have to rely too heavy on any one thing where they fall behind and they've got to start throwing the ball maryland's not built to do that no if they you know just want to run the ball because they're they have no ability to throw the ball hence the last couple of weeks with josh jackson they're not built to do that especially with the injuries right again i feel like a broken record here but that's essentially the truth of the state of where this team is right now yeah i mean gotta you gotta have balance because they're not built to be one one way or the other no agreed agreed so we'll see i i I think we do go in here and i do think we give them a a game i think it's going to be a close game but i'm not going to be a homer this week you I think th- Purdue's going to win this. I game? think Purdue wins this game and I got them winning 30 to 27. I I got to say I actually think it's Purdue as well. I hate to say it, but I I think it's going to be I think it's going to be more of a of a blowout than that. I think it's going to be like 35-21 is where I think we're going to wind up. If you would have asked me earlier on the year and you know on the Shell and Tell podcast shout out to Ryan, uh we talked about this earlier in the year. I had this as a win. Maryland on the schedule but just looking at everything that's kind of happened and transpired over the year I am not confident going into there this week and I think they end up losing Mm. (laughs) gotta get this back up there (laughs) Scott Minutes warning. Yes, sir. Pull that shot. Pour that shot. (laughs) All right, it's your turn for the two minute warning this week, my friend. And how many you got? I got five topics here. All right, you get through the full four. And I I was going to say I'll do both of those shots, but I got a long drive home. (laughs) I'll just do the one shot. Do one shot and chug whatever's left of your beer. I like it. All right. There we go. All right, Scott. Your two-minute warning. It starts now. What Buccaneers right guard Alex Kappa did on Sunday in the loss to the Saints attests to his will and commitment. And this is crazy. On Monday, Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians stated that Kappa suffered a broken left arm but did not miss a snap after sustaining injury in the second quarter. Crazy tough dude in the trenches right there to have a broken arm and keep playing. Crazy. Next week, the XFL is set to hold its inaugural draft. 
Well, on Monday, a list of eligible players was released by the league, and the initial pool of players feature some familiar names from college and NFL. Names of committed players include former Raiders uh, backup QB Connor Cook, former Steelers QB Landry Jones, running back Jonas Gray, wide receiver Jalen Roll, and former 2011 BCS national champion winning QB Darren Thomas. Not a bad list, but it's still the XFL, and we still got a lot of questions. The XFL. Surrounded by friends, teammates, and families on the 49ers sideline about an hour and a half before kickoff at Levi Stadium, Niners defensive tackle DJ Jones pointed to the scoreboard across the field in an effort to distract his girlfriend Kayla. When she turned back around, Jones was on one knee proposing marriage. She briefly gathered herself before saying yes as the Jones family cheered for the couple. Cool moment here before the game on a national stage. Really cool situation. There's a ton of arguments in MLB about whether current cards catcher Yadier Molina is a future Hall of Famer. Many detractors cite semi-inconsistent bat on, on this, but he's complicated those arguments on Monday when he not only drove in the game-tying run in the eighth inning of the Cards-Braves NLDS Game 4, but then in his next at-bat in the 10th, with one out and runners on the corners, he hits the sack fly to left to win the game. No doubt this dude is clutch, but also arguably one of the best defensive catchers in in this game and potentially the game has ever seen. He's a Hall of Famer in my book, but as a former catcher, I'm just a little bit biased. And that was four, motherfucker. <laughs> I don't know. That there were like three words left. <laughs> you didn't get them all in there. I gave you credit last yeah, week. Yeah, that little, like, I'm a little biased. You had that written in there. You didn't <laughs> just did, ad-lib that. All right, fine, buddy. Is this what you want? <laughs> Do it. Do it. Do it to it, baby. <laughs> all right, man. Before we sign out of here, we want to make a, take a second to make sure we thank the good people over at Sound United, the parent company of Polk Audio, Definitive Technology, Denon, Morantz, and Classe for sending us the attractive Denon AHD 5200 headphones. Denon makes some of the most popular AV receivers, but man, do they know headphones too. These premium headphones sport ear cups made of real zebra wood and exotic tone wood used on high-end acoustic guitars. This lends the AHD 5200s a naturally warm, musical sound. You'll find Denon's free-edge drivers under the hood, a shining example of Japanese headphone engineering. Large dynamic drivers are suspended within a baffle system that lowers resonance, the drivers deliver healthy mids, smooth highs, and tight, potent bass. Just let your ears sink into the plush blended leather padding and enjoy music like never before. All right, Scott, sign us out of here. Don't forget, we are on the after hours opening up the phone line for you guys to call in if you have anything that you want us to talk about. We're going to bring it up in just a second. But we want to remind all of you to check us out on our website, www.birdlandbs.com. While you're there, check out all of our episodes, learn about each of us, contact us, and get yourself some Birdland BS gear. Visit us on thebigplay.com, the Big Play Twitter page, and download the Big Play app. Finally got its makeover, looking good. Go check it out. Follow Birdland BS on all of our social media accounts and follow us individually at Birdland BS, at Fred BLBS, at Scott BLBS, and at bartender underscore Blake. Make sure you check us out. Like, follow, subscribe while you're there. You can also check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Snapchat. If you want your opinion or topic heard on the show, I know that Gene, your buddy Gene, is always using that hashtag, hashtag, that's BLBS. And we don't bring it up on the show, and I feel bad, so we're going to bring it up on After Hours, something that he brought up, uh, I think, last week. Okay. So we'll talk about that. If you want to have the audio version of the podcast or you want to listen to it on the go, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, any app of your choice that does podcasts, we're pretty much on there. Go check it out. As always, we want to thank you guys for tuning in. We will be be back next week at 730 Eastern Standard Time. For Fred, 
myself and bartender Blake, who's flying high right now. Or rolling them oh, dice. Or rolling them dice. Rolling them dice. Them. That's a bad motion. Give me a don't, seven. Don't do that motion. Don't do oh, that motion. It looks that. bad. Uh, <laughs> for all of us, we'll see you guys next week. See ya.